How long will the Gilgamesh project, the quest for immortality, take to complete? A hundred years? Five hundred years? A thousand years? When we recall how little we know about the human body in 1900 and how much knowledge we have gained in a single century, there is cause for optimism. Genetic engineers have recently managed to double the average life expectancy of Canor habitis elegans worms. Could they do the same for Homo sapiens? Nanotechnology experts are developing a bionic immune system composed of millions of nanorobots who would inhabit our bodies, open blocked blood vessels, fight viruses and bacteria, eliminate cancerous cells, and even reverse aging processes. A few serious scholars suggest that by 2050, some humans will become uh, amortal, not immortal, because they could still die of, of some accident, but amortal, meaning that in the absence of fatal trauma, their lives could be extended indefinitely. Whether or not Project Gilgamesh succeeds, from a historical perspective, it is fascinating to see the most late modern religions and ideologies have already taken death and the afterlife out of the equation. Until the 18th century, religions considered death and its aftermath central to the meaning of life. Beginning in the 18th century, religions and ideologies such as liberalism, socialism, and feminism lost all interest in the afterlife. What exactly happens to a communist after he or she dies? What happens to a capitalist? What happens to a feminist? It is pointless to look for the answer in the writings of Marx, Adam Smith, or Simon de Beauvoir. The only modern ideology that still awards death a central role is nationalism. In its more poetic and desperate moments, nationalism promises that whoever dies for the nation will forever live in its collective memory. Yet, this promise is so fuzzy that even most nationalists do not really know what to make of it. The Sugar Daddy of Science We're living in a technical age. Many are convinced that science and technology hold the answers to all our problems. We should just let the scientists and technicians go with their work and they will create heaven here on earth. But science is not an enterprise that takes place on some superior moral or spiritual plane above the rest of human activity. Like all other parts of our culture, it is shaped by economic, 
political and religious interests. Science is a very expensive affair. A biologist seeking to understand the human immune system requires laboratories, test tubes, chemicals, and electron microscopes, not to mention lab assistants, electricians, plumbers, and cleaners. An economist seeking to model credit markets must buy computers, set up giant data banks, and develop complicated data processing programs. An archaeologist who wishes to understand the behavior of archaic hunter-gatherers must travel to distant lands, excavate ancient ruins, and date fossilized bones and artifacts. All of this costs money. During the past 500 years, modern science has achieved wonders thanks largely to the willingness of governments, businesses, foundations, and private donors to the channel billions, rather to channel billions of dollars into scientific research. These billions have done much more to chart the universe, map the planet, and catalog the animal kingdom than did Galileo Galilei, Christopher Columbus, and Charles Darwin. If these particular geniuses had never been born, their insights would probably have occurred to others. But if the proper funding were unavailable, no intellectual brilliance could have compensated for that. If Darwin had never been born, for example, we today attribute the theory of revolution to Alfred Russell Wallace who came up with the idea of evolution via natural selection independently of Darwin and just a few years later. But if the European powers had not financed geographical, zoological, and botanical research around the world, neither Darwin nor Wallace would have had the necessary empirical data to develop theory of evolution. It is likely that they would not have had tried. Why did the billions start flowing from government and business of coffers into labs and universities? In academic circles, many are naive enough to believe in pure science. They believe that government and business altruistically give them money to pursue whatever research projects strike their fancy. But this hardly describes the realities of science funding. Most scientific studies are funded because somebody believes they can help attain some political, economic, or religious goal. For example, in the 16th century, kings and bankers channeled enormous resources to finance geographical expeditions around the world, but not a penny for studying child psychology. This is because kings and bankers surmised that the discovery of new geographical knowledge would enable them to conquer new lands and set up trade empires, whereas they couldn't see any profit in understanding child psychology. In the 1940s, 
the governments of America and the Soviet Union channeled enormous resources to the study of nuclear physics rather than underwater archaeology. They surmised that studying nuclear physics would enable them to develop nuclear weapons, whereas underwater archaeology was unlikely to help with Mars. Scientists themselves are not always aware of the political, economic, and religious interests that control the flow of money. Many scientists do, in fact, out, act out of pure intellectual curiosity. However, only rarely do scientists dictate the scientific agenda. Even if we wanted to finance pure science unaffected by political, economic, or religious interests, it would probably be impossible. Our resources are limited after all. Ask a congressman to allocate an additional million dollars to the National Science Foundation for basic research. And he'll justify, justifiably rather, ask whether that money wouldn't be better used to fund teacher training or to give a needed tax break to a troubled factory in his district. To channel limited resources, we must answer questions such as, what is more important and what is good? And these are not scientific questions. Science can explain what exists in the world, how things work, and what might be in the future. By definition, it has no pretensions to knowing what should be in the future. Only religions and ideologies seek to answer such questions. Consider the following quandary, two biologists from the same department, possessing the same professional skills, have both applied for a million dollar grant to finance their current research projects. To be continued.